Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Woodenville Wine Country. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KBI. Well, hello, hello. Hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound. And welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I am your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your master mixologist and commodore of cocktails here today on Saturday, 11 a.m. to noon. That's every Saturday, right here on 570 KVI. Hope you're having a great fall. It has arrived, the chill in the air, the football season, and, uh, well, it's time for some great red wines. But, you know, don't be afraid of the whites or the pinks, because it's all going to be good. This is Happy Hour Radio. Hey, I want to welcome all my friends who uh, were out there in Washington, D.C. for that fantastic football game, the Seahawks. Uh, what a game it was. I got to go back to D.C. on Monday night, and that was really fun. And uh, before I left, I was over in Red Mountain. If you haven't been to Red Mountain yet, you have to go. Check it out. There are 10, 11, 12, 15 different wineries. They held the Red Mountain Revelry uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, we had a great time. Stayed at the Hedges. Uh, the, would it be a mansion? No, it would be uh, the, the Palais de Hedges, I think is what they call it. It's, uh, it's a beautiful property. Uh, lots of, uh, there's 4,040 acres there on Red Mountain, and uh, it's all fun. So check out Fidelitas and Cooper and Frechette and Tapteal and Hightower and Colsolari, of course, and many, many more. But uh, Red Mountain's the spot. Check it out, uh, redmountainava.com. And uh, today, I have the privilege of uh, going back in time to the old world. We're heading to Italy, the uh, top of the boot up in Piedmont. Uh, I'd like to welcome my friend Andrea uh, Pace. He is the brand ambassador for Ceretto wines, which are um, beautiful red wines and white and sparkling. And Andrea, welcome to Happy Hour. Buongiorno, buongiorno a tutti. Good morning to everyone. Yeah, hey, uh, so excited to have you here and uh, our friends at Winebow. Uh, and uh, who's the distributor? Noble Wines. Yeah, I love Noble. And uh, so good to have you in Seattle. It's a beautiful day, as we can see. Um, you've been traveling the world, spaced in New York, but uh, you are representing the Toretto family of Piedmont. Tell me about the history of Toretto. Exactly. So I'm based in New York, and from New York I travel all over the USA country. Uh, Ceretto, they started to make wine in the 30s, 1930s. But I have to say that the first generation, they were like negociant. So somebody that buy the grapes, make the wine, and sell as a bulk wine. So it's just with the second generation, the two Barolo brothers, uh, Marcello and Bruno, that they started what Ceretto is today. So they started to buy uh, vineyards and also like land in Lange, in the Roero area. And they started to put in the bottle Barolo and Barbaresco. So it's from the late 60s that we can find the first bottles of Barolo and Barbaresco from Ciaretto. Ah, fantastic. So we have two brothers who uh, found some money, found a pot of gold under a rainbow, and decided they wanted to grow some grapes. I have to say that they started in the right moment. They started in the 60s when one hectare of uh, a good, great single vineyard of Barolo Barbaresco, they were not too expensive yet. So 
Right now, it's more than 100 times more expensive. So right now, the prices are really, really higher. Uh, lucky us. Uh, we get to drink some really expensive grapes here today on Happy Hour Radio. Speaking with Andre Apache of the uh, Cerreto Wine family in Piedmont. And uh, Piedmont is, of course, uh, the top of the boot of Italy and uh, best known for some fantastic whites and reds. Uh, Moscato grape is one of the uh, celebrated grapes from the town of Asti. Exactly. Today we are trying different wines, but uh, from Alba you have more like Arnaise that is more typical. If you move a little bit forward and you reach Asti area, you find different white, different whites. For example, Moscato is one of the most famous. So Moscato is a dessert wine. So it's a wine with residual sugar coming from the fermentation, so it's not a sugar added inside. Sparkling, and this is the real Moscato dust. Normally it's 5, 5% five and a half of alcohol. Never higher than 5 well, it's just beautiful because you can have a bottle for breakfast and still, you know, get some work done. Brunch. Brunch, yes. <laughs> and and a brunch. Uh, and to me, it's always a great pairing with uh, the wedding cake or dessert. It is a dessert wine, but yes. a lot of people tend to, to pour other things like champagne at the wedding with the wedding cake. It never works. I don't know. Moscato is really a dessert wine. Especially in Italy, we have, uh, in Piemonte, we have hazelnuts, a lot of it. We have this cake, this really dry, with a little bit of zabaglione. Zabione, huh? Yeah. That is an egg custard, kind of like hollandaise, only sweet. With Moscato, is just perfect. The perfect match. Ah, well, we have the perfect match in studio with uh, Kelsey Graham here. Kelsey Graham. <laughs> Kelsey Mom. <laughs> Too funny. Oh, I see. It's like I got back into radio, just like that. That's uh, hilarious. So we had, This is live, by the way. We won't even edit that out. Uh, so, Andrea, uh, we talk about Arnais. So, Arnais is a white wine um, from the Alba region in Piedmont. Uh, crisp and dry white wine. Uh, doesn't see any oak, typically. Perhaps a little bit of batonnage. Tell me about the particular one you produce from Lange. I mean, we started to produce Arnais in the 85, 1985. When Bruno and Marcello, they were traveling, traveling a lot in order to sell some Barolo and Barbaresco, especially in USA, they went around and they saw that they had no white wine from Piemonte. So they went back home and they started to figure out how to make a white wine more famous from Piemonte. And they find this indigenous varietal, Arnaise. So we started to make it, but we started to make it in a particular way. We keep a little bit of carbonic from the fermentation. This is really the main characteristic of our name. You mean frizzante? It's not frizzante, but has a little bit of bubble. It's, um, petillant. E exactly, petillant, or like effervescence, just a little bit. This helps the wine a lot, because Arnaise is a varietal with a good aromatic, but not much uh, acid, acidity. So the little frizzante, the little CO2, carbonic inside the wine, bring the acidity at another level and helps a lot the freshness of the wine. Uh, it is very fresh. Um, peachy pear and green apple, yellow apple, uh, slightly floral. Uh, this is a delicious wine. I love the the um, the freshness that the mm -hmm. CO2 provides, and uh, of course, it's carbonic acid, so it does have a little bit of a bite, which raises the acid level. Uh, it's a fun bottle because it's clear, it's crisp, but clean. It's like <laughs> Seven Up commercial right now, uh, but it's you have a new screw top. This is new yeah. for. Uh, we wanted to change. Uh, and like uh, keep going on with the new generation. I think the screw cup for this kind of wine, it's really important. It's a fresh white wine. It's a wine that we normally drink in the next like two, three, four years. So the screw cup is just perfect. 
Well, you can chill it and swill it, and uh, you yeah. know you don't have to think too hard. But it's a it's a very approachable food. It goes well because you've got yes. that Christmas and acidity. Uh, it's a great first course wine. I always appreciate a lovely Arnace. And this is what uh, twenty bucks at the store. Yes, find it at Esquin or uh, McCarthy and Shearings or. Whole Foods, perhaps, someplace like that. Uh, very cool. Um, so, speaking with Andre Pache, the brand ambassador for Choretto, which is the, uh, the well, well known for their Barolos and Barbarescos. And just for everybody out there, Barolo and Barbaresco are, yes, they are wines, but more importantly, they are communes in the region of Piedmont or the Piemontes, which is the top of the boot uh, in Italy. So, Andrea, tell us about uh, the wine, the grape that grows into Barolo and Barbaresco. I mean, if we are talking about Barolo and Barbaresco, we are talking about Lange region. So Lange, it's uh, Alba, it's also in Lange. Over there, you find this small area. One is Barolo, one is Barbaresco. They're both of them really small. It's just if you grow Nebbiolo in this two area, you can call the Nebbiolo after a certain process in the winery. Barolo, if it's, you are in the Barolo area or Barbaresco if you are in Barbaresco. So technically, both of them are 100% Nebbiolo, always. You cannot add anything else. Then you have to follow certain process. So the aging is really important. In Barbaresco, it's around uh, um, 12 to 14 months in oak, and then you have to keep the wine one more year in the bottle, in the cellar. Barolo is a little bit more important. It has more tanning, so it needs more time in the oak and in the bottle to be drinkable. So we're talking about two communes, the communes of Barbaresco and Barolo. How far away are they from each uh, other? They're, they're really close, actually. The nearest part, nearest point between them, it's maybe 15 miles. 15 each other. miles. Yeah. But uh, the soil is different. Um, in Barolo, you have a lot more clay and silt. The wine, the wine gets a little more tannic. So it's for this reason that a lot of time the people divide Barolo as the masculine wine and Barbaresco as the feminine style wine. Because in Barbaresco, you have a little bit more sand also sometimes. So the wines become more aromatic, more floral, a little bit more open. And the tannins are not too aggressive as for the Barolo. Ah, so the sandstone, is that the Tortonian? But yeah, now if we want to talk more specific in the Barolo area, okay, we can divide the Barolo area between Tortonian and Elvetian soil. So these two soils, they are making the Barolo area separate in two sides. Uh, first of all, it's made by 11 commons. Five are the most important, are the five small villages, La Morra, Cassione Falletto, Monforte and Serra Lunga, and of course, Barolo. It's not just an area, but it's also a village. So if you divide these two areas, you have from one side the Helvetian soil. The Helvetian, it's an older soil. Uh, it's a Monforte, Serra Lunga village. From over there, you get the more long lifestyle wine, really traditional. So a lot of tanning, they need some time more air in the bottle, in the cellar, before drinkable. In the other side, you have a little bit more sand. And, for example, in La Morra village, or like also Barolo village, you get more floral, more aromatic, a lot of time more elegance also. So the wine is also ready sooner, and it's a little more elegant. For example, the classic example is the village of La Morra with the Brunate vineyard. That one sometimes is really a classic example for elegant, elegant Barolo. Well, I see you brought uh, a couple of examples of your Soretto Barolos, the Brico Roque uh, Brunate Barolo, <laughs> 2008. And I'm trying to use the accent, and I'm starting to sound like an Asian guy trying to say uh, Barolo. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, the Barbaresco and the Barolo regions, uh, yes, some fantastic wines, long-lived. Uh, many people say that Nebbiolo is the king of wines, uh, yes. much to the Cabernets or uh, Syrah lovers' uh, 
surprise. Um, so I want to try some one of the wines. I know that you have an, what we'll call a a blended uh, mm-hmm. commune wine. So you have their first offering is the Zonkera. Yes. Um, technically, the traditional way to make Barolo in, uh, in Piemonte is a blend Barolo. In the past, the people, the winemakers, they were bringing grapes from uh, different area, different vineyards in the Barolo area, and they were blended together in order to find uh, the tannin from the Helvetian soil, uh. the more elegance for the Tortonian soil, and find the right blend. It's interesting because blending is is a process throughout the world of wine that people talk about adding complexity. So single vineyard is is a lovely place because you can, uh, you know. Sc- Scroll down or Google down to that one particular place on the earth uh, and have it a wine that is representative of that particular place. But blending, just like they do in Champagne and yeah. and in Bordeaux, um, it's all about creating the best wine possible. Yes, exactly. So, for example, Ceretto is still making one Barolo and one Barbaresco in the traditional way. So blending our grapes in a single Barolo, in a single Barbaresco. I call I call this Barolo our estate Barolo. I like it. This is the 2000 and... Ten, yes, Zonquera exactly. Barolo from Toretto, um, bright red, uh, raspberry red. Uh, the acid is high, and the tannin is uh, uh, is just off stringent. I mean, it's it's firm and it has a little bit of grip, but it certainly uh, coats the mouth very well. Um, mm. Yeah, what we are looking with this Barolo, because then we make also some single vineyards. Uh, this one is the first one that go in the market from us. Of course, we want a good amount of tannin, a good balance, but we need elegance and also approachability for this wine. So 2010 is a great, great vintage in Piemonte, really traditional, good amount of tannin. But in this case, our Zonquera, that is our estate Barolo, it's also approachable. It's a wine that you can open and you can drink almost right away. It's interesting. When did you open this wine? I know you were on the sales trip uh, today or this, this whole weekend. We, we opened it around... 10, 30, 11. Okay, morning. so that was uh, a good uh, an hour and a half or so, running around, getting some air, and it is very approachable. So you could decant this real quickly and enjoy it immediately at the table. You can decanting, or you can just just open it and drink it almost right So the Zoncaro Barolo is about $45 at the store, a great entry level, uh, your first one, your estate bottle. Yes. And uh, when we come back from this break, we're going to try some of the fantastic Barolos and maybe even jump into Barbaresco here on Happy Hour Radio. I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrea Pace, the brand ambassador for Toretto, which is a beautiful winery, um, an estate in Piedmont. So stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. enthusiasts turn year after year for some of the state's most highly awarded wine varietals and blends? Since 2001, it's been one place, Mary Hill Winery. Over the years, Mary Hill Winery has been honored as Winemaker of the Year, Washington Winery of the Year, and Best Destination Winery. And now, they've done it again. Mary Hill Winery just named the 2014 Winery of the Year at the San Francisco International Wine Competition. Taste for yourself with Mary Hill Wines at your local retailer or click maryhillwinery.com. Hi, this is Keith Robbins from Teeny Biggs and Hula Hula. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio on 570 KBI. 
Breaking down the big stories. Glenn Beck, weekdays 9 to noon on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Ah, fall is in the air, and uh, we're on the airwaves. Welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, event sommelier, and have the pleasure of speaking with uh, Andrea Pace, the brand ambassador for Choretto, which is a fine, fine estate winery in the Piedmont region of Italy. Started out with the Arnais White, which is a very approachable, crisp, and uh, slightly effervescent uh, dry white wine uh, from the Arnais grape uh, from the Rorero region. And now we're moving into some great reds. Uh, you know, the king of grapes is said to live there in Piedmont, and that is Nebbiolo. Nebbia is the word for fog, and uh, we'll ask uh, Andrea all about this Nebbiolo. But I'm having the Barbaresco 2010, how do I say it? It's Bernardotte. Bernardotte. Bernardotte is uh, one of uh, the single vineyards that we produce, bringing the grapes just from this specific vineyard. It's uh, in the village of Treso. It's pretty high in elevation. It's really interesting because uh, you have the complexity of a single vineyard, and uh, it's really like 2010, especially vintage, it's really full of tanning, good balance. It's a wine that you can almost forget in the cellar for like 10, 15 years without any problem. You will have like a special surprise after. Ah, wow, really. this is an amazing wine. This is truly unforgettable because the 2010, I expected to be much more grippy. Um, I think you've had some air in this today, but if you mm-hmm. love Burgundy, then you would truly love this particular wine, the Barbaresco Bernadotte. Exactly. Yeah, exactly what you said. A lot of people that they are in love with Burgundy, they also love Piedmont. And the same is the opposite. Um, Nebbiolo followers and uh, Pinot Noir followers are a lot of times similar. They like more or less the same kind of stuff. So Piemonte, for some, some, region, some reason, is really similar to the Burgundy-style wine, Pinot Noir. It's interesting. So um, what when you talk about these vineyards, these special bottlings, how much fruit is hanging on uh, those vines? Because we talk about tons per acre, but you would say hectoliters per hectare, and a hectare but, is 2.2 acres. Yeah, I mean, we can produce more or less uh, uh, 70, 80 quintali uh, per hectare of uh, Nebbiolo in Barolo and Barbaresco. But when we talk about the single vineyards, the production is more or less half. We do two green harvests, then we select the grapes during the harvest time, and then we have a sorting table where we literally select single grape by single grape before the crusher. This is for the single vineyard. We can do it because it's, we are talking about production that there are around 5,000 bottles per year. Ah. So it's a work that you can do it. We cannot do that selection for the Arnais, <laughs> but for the single vineyard Barrio Barbaresco, we need it. Well, that's quite uh, that's a meticulous process, and it, you can really taste it in the glass. The 2010 was a classic vintage for yes. uh, Piedmont. Uh, great structure with the wines, good acidity. There's elegance in this. The Barbaresco, so Nebbiolo grape coming from the commune of Barbaresco, and uh, this is the Bernadotte. And it's about $75 at the store, maybe 80 bucks uh, at Esquin. You can pre-order with McCarthy and Shearing uh, or uh, Wine World, the friends over there, too. Um, lovely. I, I really enjoy that. So, so I see you have some of the big wines, the big boys, because we use that masculine terminology for some of the wines from Barolo, correct? Exactly. Now, we are having fun because now we have today two of our most important single vineyards. They're really interesting because they're coming both from Barolo, but from two opposite sides of Barolo villages. So one is from La Morra, so it's Tortonian soil, 
a little more sandy, a little more approachable, more feminine style, more open, also if it's younger. And the other one is the big guy. The other one is from Serralunga village. In Serralunga, it's a Helvetian soil, much more clay, silt, it's a holder soil, really poor in organic substance. So you get a wine that is really, really tannic, really masculine style. That one, this region is where you can find Barolo and, Bar Barolo and you can really age for also 20 years. If the vintage is good, always. And I have had some long-lived Barolo wines. That Nebbiolo grape uh, can soften that tannin, and uh, that acidity never goes away. That's why vinegar yeah, can exactly. last forever, because acid is always there. So the first wine, Brunate, is a single vineyard Barolo. Um, this bottle is labeled differently. It says Rico Roque. Yeah, because Ceretto, um, we have the main winery in Alba where we produce our Arnaise, our Dolcetto, and our classic Barolo and Barbaresco. But when we talk about single vineyard, so Barolo that they are made bringing the grapes just from a specific vineyard, we move, and we move in the middle of the Barolo area. So we have a little winery facility called Bricco Rocca. It's in Cassione Falletto, and over there we just make the single vineyard Barolo. The same concept is for Barbaresco single vineyard, with a little facility and winery in Barbaresco. You know, you know what I need right now? Yes. A little bolognese. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Boy, these wines are so structured, tightly wound, but there's so much core fruit here. And uh, that acid makes my mouth water, but the tannin makes it dry. So I need some, I need some uh, veal and tomato. Yeah. and Or pork chop. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's really good. Uh, so how much wine does uh, Toretto produce uh, entirely? Well, entirely with the Moscato, also with the Arnais. Uh, we are talking about... Uh, more or less one million of bottle mm. bottles. When we talk about the single vineyard, so the two smaller winery, the production is much, much lower. Yeah. Uh, with uh, three single vineyards of Barolo, we make around uh, uh, a little bit over 10,000 bottles per year. Well, I got to thank uh, our friends at Winebow Imports. And if we want to find out about these wines and the whole family of portfolio of the fine wines that Winebow carries, winebow.com, is that right? Yeah. Winebow.com, and you can visit. Uh, it's quite the portfolio. If you want to learn all about Italy, you can go from north to south because they've got lots of great producers there. But we are speaking with Andrea Pace, the brand ambassador of Toretto, which is the uh, fine Piedmontese producer, um, working with Nebbiolo and Arnes and Moscato and uh, a little uh, Dolcetto d'Alba. Yes. I see some of that, too. Before we get to that wine, though, so tell me more about this particular Barbaresco, the, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Brolo... Prapo. 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 Prapo is a little vineyard in uh, Serralunga. So Serralunga, as together with uh, Monforte, from there they come, the more long life style wine. It's really tannic, and I call this wine more traditional, because in the past, the Barolo, they were really traditional, really like, sometimes a little aggressive. Now the tannin uh, are a little bit more rounded, but this wine especially is still a wine that you need to age it in the bottle a little bit before open the bottle and drink it. And this is the 2009, and I get yeah. a little riper fruit profile, but also touch more new oak. Um, we the, Our process is always uh, like small barrique, the first, to do the malolactic fermentation also. When the malolactic is done, then it could be like uh, four to six months, depending year to year. We move the wine in the more traditional style botti. So bigger cask, always French oak. We don't use more than one third of new oak every year. So it's more used. I think the ripeness of fruit here on it is just uh, 
uh, exaggerating that sense of, of vanilla and spice mm-hmm. from the from the oak. Um, it's a delicious wine. It certainly is tannic. There's a big tannic backbone right behind that. Uh, Prapo. Prapo. Yes. Prapo. Yes. Barolo, 2009. So the uh, Brunate and Prapo uh, are single vineyard wines from Toretto in the Piedmont region. They're both Barolos. Uh, the Brunate is current vintage here in the st- in city, Seattle, and around the region. It's uh, 2008, and that's about $90. Right around there, yes, more yeah. or less. Yes. Okay, so that's that's a beautiful bottle of wine because it's you know we're talking about a single vineyard, and when you get to single vineyards in places like Burgundy, you're you're commanding two hundred and fifty dollars yeah. to thousand dollars, depending on you know who's making that particular wine. So you have the same effect here for maybe you know twenty percent the cost for some of the grand vintages you have. Um, certainly beautiful wines. Long lived, and uh, it is truly making me hungry here. So, for dessert, you talked about a little moscato, but also there's another sweet wine called the dolcetto. It ah. Means what? Dolcetto, dolcetto. The name, the name is sweet. The wine, no. Yeah. Uh, the name means little sweet. Yeah. And uh, it's our. I grew up with dolcetto. Dolcetto is the classic wine, uh, together sometimes with the Barbera, that you find in every table in every family in the north of Italy in Piemonte. So normally it's a varietal that gives to the wine a lot of fruit. No oak, just stainless steel, so it's the kind of wine that becomes the every meal wine. Really fresh to drink it. We don't want to age the dolcetto too long. It's a wine that you start to drink the next year, the following year. So now today I think we have the 2012. It's like great right now. It's perfect with pasta. Of course. <laughs> what is not? With a little noke, perhaps, too? So uh, is there Dolcetto d'Asti, or is it just Dolcetto d'Alba? We make Dolcetto d'Alba. We I have see. our vineyard that is called Rossana, and we have the vineyard really close to Alba. And then, of course, you can also find Dolcetto from other regions. Uh, from Asti, normally, you find more Barbera. Mm-hmm. Barbera yes. is a little bit more famous from Asti. I agree, and I had some Barbera with our tasting group uh, last week. Uh, beautiful wine. It kind of struck me as, what is this, what is this, because it's got such great acidity. And I think they use some st- uh, stem management for tannin. Yeah, so we, we tried. Um, the problem of the, the stem of uh, the Nebbiolo, that they don't... Uh, uh, rape real well. Yeah, they're not they still, lignified they, yet. Yeah, still a little when green. Pick, when you pick the grapes, they are still really green. So you will have, uh, if you use it, you will have a really like vegetable and green uh, tanning <laughs> that you don't want in no, your No, you want that in your stew or in your, uh, your ragu for sure. But uh, Andrea Pace, the brand ambassador for Toretto, thank you so much for sharing these fantastic wines, the Prapo, the Brunate, the Brico Roque, and the Arnes. Of course, the little Doug Dolcetto d'Alba. This is so fun. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Hall, and you're welcome to visit us in Piemonte. Oh, I can't wait, because that's where the food will be, because my studio is barren of food. But stick around. We'll be talking about food and some wine and some cocktails coming up in our next segment. And uh, if you have any questions, don't be afraid to ask at happyhourradio.net. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dennis Cakebread with Cakebread Sellers. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio on 570 KVI. The Commute with Carlson, weekdays 5 to 9, only in Seattle on Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. 
Hey, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Hey, loved, loved hearing Dennis Cakebread from Cakebread Cellars down in California. You know, he's got a new project now in Walla Walla, the Mulan Road Project. Uh, and he was just in town last week showing off the first release of that lovely wine, that red wine, Cabernet Franc and more. And uh, speaking of lovely, uh, Washington State is full of lovely places, lovely food, uh, destinations, of course, wine and beers and spirits. And uh, I just wanted to take a little time to chat about how lucky we are in this beautiful state because we've got all these wonderful places, these fantastic places, these destinations to enjoy life. And uh, I always trust some of my friends at uh, our big publications, whether it's Tasting Room Magazine or my friends at SIP. Uh, but today I'm going to uh, check out the latest editions of Seattle Magazine and Seattle Metropolitan. It's uh, maga mag or head-on-head or tets-a-tets, page-to-page. Here we go. Uh, Talking about some great destinations, if you check out the October edition of Seattle Magazine, uh, they've got a wine touring, wine country getaways, and a best beer garden. So how can you go wrong with that magazine? That should be a guidebook at all times. Uh, But, you know, if you start here in Seattle and uh, head east on I-90, we've got Wineries everywhere. First one is in Cleellum. That's Swiftwater Cellars. You can take a left, head north, and go check out uh, uh, Rob Newsom over at Leavenworth Cellars in, uh, excuse me, Boudreaux Cellars in Leavenworth. And uh, uh, keep driving down the road. You end up in Yakima, or you can keep going up to Chelan. We've got wineries all over the Chelan area. And uh, in between that, the Gorge amphitheater that's cave b and my friend freddie eredondo makes some fantastic wine they've got uh, a lovely well a really delicious restaurant called trellis and uh, you got to check that at some point um, great views overnight accommodations um, but if you find yourself on i-82 off Yakima, uh, just passing through Prosser. You've got uh, Zilla and uh, friends at Sunnyside, Cote Bonneville. That was my friend Carrie Shields, who was here just a couple weeks ago. And uh, a great place to stay and dine uh, in Prosser is Desert Wind Winery. They've got overnight accommodations and great food. And uh, Greg Freeze was here, uh, gosh, a couple months ago, sharing some of his wonderful wines. And uh, speaking of wonderful wines, I'm going to switch over to Seattle Metropolitan Magazine. And my friend Sean Sullivan, you may know, is uh, has been elevated to the, uh, the Prince of uh, Prose, writing about Washington wines. And uh, Paul Greggett, our longtime friend who was here with Waitsburg Cellars, a couple months ago as well, has moved on to Oregon wines. Uh, apparently he had a little bit of a conflict of interest since he's now making wine in Washington. He had to take a little break, <laughs> a little time out, and head down to Oregon. So Paul Greggett reviews Oregon wines, and that's a big job into itself with 400-plus wineries. they got whites and reds and Pinot Noirs. Oh, my. Uh, but our friend Sean Sullivan, who is now the Washington uh, correspondent for Wine Enthusiast, also has a couple gigs. He's got the Washington Wine Report and uh, is the featured writer for the Top 100 Wines in this issue of Seattle Metropolitan Magazine. So I wanted to share some of the wines that uh, he's listed as the Top 100, or in this case, the Top 13 wines in Washington, which is pretty exciting. I mean, how do you figure 13? You can't go top 10. It's just too small. But 13 is that magic number. I like 13. Uh, Interesting enough, Cayuse uh, gets the first and second wines. And how many of you out in Happy Hour Radio Land have ever had a Cayuse wine? 
Oh, I can see a hand. One hand, two, three. Well, if you have it in your cellar, don't wait to drink it because uh, those wines, they'll last a couple years and uh, in a great way, but I think his wines are best served fresh. And uh, the 2010 Cayuse Vineyards, here's the quote, God only knows Grenache, Armada Vineyard, Walla Walla Valley. I don't know how Cayuse or Christophe Baron, who was the vigneron, the little French guy, uh, who came over in 1998 and looked at that uh, plot of rocks over in Milton Freewater District, which is located in the Walla Walla Valley, uh, just south of Washington. You cross the border and you're into Oregon, but it's still the Walla Walla Valley. So one day he was there, he checked out these rocks and said, uh, Zut alors, uh, this looks like Chateauneuf de Pop. Chateauneuf de Pop is a famous region in the southern uh, Rhone Valley, uh, an area where they typically grow Grenache. So um, how appropriate that. Sean Sullivan's Top 100 Wines in Washington State begins with the Cayuse Vineyards, God Only Knows Grenache, Armada Vineyard, which sounds pretty cool. Uh, here's what he writes. Like many 2010s, this wine from Vigneron and Rocks Region Pioneer, Christophe Baron is initially more aromatically brooding with notes of flowers, black and green olive, mineral peat, that is in the peat smoke, which you find in Scotch whiskey, and saline before exploding on the palate with exuberant unami flavors. Mmm. It says you drink this at a cool 62 degrees, preferably while watching the sun go down uh, or the sun come up or any of life's other sublime moments. So uh, sublime wine, which I can't wait to taste. I'm going to go knock on uh, Christophe's door and say, hey, I want to try some God Only Knows Grenache. The second wine, too, is uh, also from... Christophe Baron in his second label called No Girls Grenache, La Pacencia Vineyard in Walla Walla Valley. Uh, it's interesting. We've got two relatively new grapes to Washington State. It's the Grenache, uh, and Grenache is known throughout the world, most uh, readily in uh, uh, Garnacha in Spain and Grenache in southern France. But here in Washington, we're pretty much on the same parallel. So uh, to have young vines uh, be Grenache and to be the first and second wines of the top 100. Congratulations. Uh, if you know what Grenache tastes like, it's kind of a mix of fruits. It's red and blue and a touch of purple. Uh, mostly red fruits, though, because you get deep flavors. It's got a hint of saran there. It has a little bit of spice um, and apparently lots of umami. And if you can taste umami, that's that soy sauce or garlic taste, something that coats your palate. Uh, and this aromatically brooding wine. Uh, this is the new project from Christophe Baron, the No Girls Grenache, La Pacencia Vineyard in Walla Walla. These are both 2010s. That's great. Um, challenge with these two wines, though, is that he makes such small production, nobody can get them. So it's kind of funny that we have the number one and number two wines are so small production that uh, you've got to be on a mailing list and if you you're hating it because I guess you can't challenge the fact that these wines are number one and number two. But remember, this is one person speaking, and it's uh, just like me, uh, your own palate, which really rules the day. And here's how I like to uh, approach a world-class wine. If I want to say a wine is great, my first impression, A, that it has to smell good. Uh, the color's not so necessarily um, important because you can have a thin pink Barolo, which has is loaded with power, as we found out earlier in the show. Um, but the second most important thing for me when you're tasting wine, uh, not only is the aroma, but remember, aroma is taste, and so it has to have a great mouthfeel. You smell it, it smells delicious, you put it in your mouth, and uh, like that uh, pizza or that's chili, it's not too hot, not too spicy, it's all melded together, perfectly woven, 
with great structure, something that your mouth can enjoy. It's uh, swirl it around uh, and then enjoy that long, complex finish. A variety of layers of flavors and uh, great structure. And structure refers to the tannin or the acid or perhaps a little bit of the oak, which is uh, a winemaking texture. And uh, well, I guess you could have uh, you know non-oak textures as well with a little like they do in champagne. But remember for me, it's uh, smell good, feel good in the mouth, and ultimately taste good. And whether you want a $10 wine or, as Sean Sullivan put, a $90 wine, um, it's all the same as long as you enjoy it. So don't be afraid to venture out and find that uh, smell good, feel good, taste good wine. It's out there in Washington, I'm sure. Uh, the third wine on Sean Sullivan's Top 100 Wines in the Seattle Metropolitan Magazine is Quilcita Creek. Interesting enough, this is the 2011 Cabernet Sauvignon from Columbia Valley, which means it's a blend of different uh, Appalachians or American viticulture areas. And the 2011 was a cool year, which I think will be long-lived, much like the 2010s. Um, but we figured it out just in time. It's good to have a, a vineyard like 2010 and then 2011. But of course, Quilcita Creek, known for their, I believe, I believe it's four 100-point wines now. Uh, so that's a that's pretty easy one to throw up there in the top three, I guess. You couldn't go wrong if you named it one, two, or three, or even four. Um, but this new region in Walla Walla called The Rocks, it looks like they've got six or seven of the top 13 wines uh, from that particular region, whether it's from Cayuse or No Girls or Delma um, or the No Girls or Kay Vintners or uh, my friends, uh, the Rhine Vans. Do check out the Rocks Vineyard, the Rocks area in Walla Walla. I love the Rocks. It's got lots of mineral taste. It's got a, a very interesting smell. Um, and go figure that uh, of all the things that would grow here, it would be grapes. Um, that's my little wrap. If you haven't had a chance to check out the Seattle Magazine or the Seattle Metropolitan Magazine, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Or as I always like to recommend, check out the SeattleWineAwards.com website. Or if you like Oregon wines, check out OregonWineAwards.com. We've got a great tasting panel, world-class panel, and tasting 1,300-plus wines this year. You can find something you like at a variety of price points. But, uh, hey, stick around. Speaking of great price points, I've got a day in the life of Mary Hill Winery. Coming up next, right after this break on Happy Hour Radio. wine enthusiasts turn year after year for some of the state's most highly awarded wine varietals and blends? Since 2001, it's been one place, Mary Hill Winery. Over the years, Mary Hill Winery has been honored as Winemaker of the Year, Washington Winery of the Year, and Best Destination Winery. And now, they've done it again. Mary Hill Winery just named the 2014 Winery of the Year at the San Francisco International Wine Competition. Taste for yourself with Mary Hill Wines at your local retailer or click maryhillwinery.com. Hi, I'm Jeff Lindsay Thorson with WT Vintners and RN74, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KVI. The Commute with Carlson, weekdays 5 to 9, only in Seattle on Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI 1 and 0 weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, folks, it's been another great show. I appreciate you uh, hanging in there for uh, Happy Hour Radio. And now it's time to get to some reality radio. On the line is Craig Luthold, a co-owner with his lovely wife, Vicki Luthold, of uh, Mary Hill Winery, co-founder. Hey, Craig, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. 
great to be back. Thanks, Christopher. Yeah, so um, this is really fun. This is a day in the life at Mary Hill Winery. And I know uh, a couple weeks ago we started off with talking about the 80,000 cases Mary Hill produces, the lovely town of Mary Hill and your concert venue. But uh, last week we were chatting about the whites, the Sauvignon Blanc, the Pinot Gris, and uh, I bet you probably pulled that Viognier and Chardonnay now. But let's talk about some red wines. Um, what's what's uh, you guys pressing down there at Mary Hill? Well, uh, we've had Merlot in. Uh, we're about ready to pull the trigger on some of the more exotic varietals like Mervedre and Grenache. Uh, we actually have just had an avalanche of grapes. Uh, normally, we don't pick a lot of uh, red grapes in September, but because of our nice, warm summer, uh, we have had a lot of grapes come in that uh, normally uh, don't show up till October. Wow. So I you know the uh, <laughs> Mother Nature has uh, given us a little microwave this year, uh, s- sort of helping us uh, not cook the grapes, but really get them ripe. Um, but everything's coming in nice and ripe, not too uh, sunburned or anything like that? No. You know, we, we did have a few heat spikes during the summer, but uh, overall, everything's looking really beautiful. The the growers are really happy with the way that the season turned out, and we are super excited with the quality of the fruit coming in. Well, that's great to hear, especially from the San Francisco International Wine Competition's 2014 Winery of the Year, right? That's you, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it still hasn't really sunk in. I mean, we found out about it a few months ago, but uh, we are just so uh, honored to have been chosen for that uh, award. It, it, it just is I just get goosebumps every time I think about it. Well, that's great for uh, Mary Hill and, of course, even better for Washington State. And uh, we're very Absolutely. pleased to, have, to hear that. So when you were in the studio a couple months ago, we chatted and we had some great wines. I remember you had the Morved and the uh, Grenache Syrah uh, Morved. You called that uh, Marvel, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. So uh, how's the Morved looking this year and where are you pulling that stuff from? Well, we're actually pulling that from a, a vineyard that Joe Hattrop grows for us, uh, Sugarloaf Vineyard up on the uh, Rattlesnake Hills. Uh, his two vineyards are really unique in that one of them is above the Missoula flood, so it's ancient soils, and uh, Sugarloaf is a little bit below that, and uh, so it's actually gravelly, sandy loam, and it was affected by the Missoula flood. So. Two very unique terroirs from those uh, vineyards that are no more than a half a mile apart. Wow. And how much fruit do you pull from those two vineyards? You know, Richard got introduced to Joe uh, at the Washington Association of Grape Growers meeting about uh, four years ago. We started out with just two or three varietals, and I think now we are up to 10 or 11 different varietals from Joe because he is a fantastic grower, and and the fruit coming off there is truly unique and stellar every every single year. That's very exciting because I know it also has some elevation, and I, th- I find that uh, the elevation is key for some for good vineyards in Washington State. True, that's absolutely true. Hey, so um, when it comes to Cabernet, I know the, a couple uh, last week you talked about uh, Otis Vineyard and some some Cabernet Sauvignon this year. How's that coming? Is that coming along nice? The calves are looking fantastic. Uh, in a normal year, we don't even bring even the hot climate calves, the ones that are in the warmest sites, until middle of October. But uh, the development of the flavors in the calves this year look very complex. Richard came back 
from a vineyard visit uh, day before yesterday, and he was absolutely thrilled with what he's seeing out there at, at in the vineyards. That's this is very exciting. I'm speaking with Craig Luthold, who, uh, along with his lovely wife Vicky, co-owner and co-founder of Mary Hill Winery, and this is our new reality radio segment, a day in the life of Mary Hill Winery. And Craig, so you you make uh, Mary Hill produces both white and red, but you don't do any bubbles yet, right? No, uh, we do not do bubbles. We have a, a, a winery in California produce a really small amount so that we have it uh, in our tasting room for celebrations and if people want it for weddings. But um, my winemaker basically told me that if I decided to do sparkling, that he would buy a gun and possibly use it on me. <laughs> that would be a different kind. It's a whole different animal, my friend. That would be a different kind of pop then, wouldn't it? Uh, well, <laughs> yes, it so, would. you know, in 80,000 cases, um, quickly, tell much, uh, how much red is out of that produced? You know, it's about 60% red and about 40% white of the total production of Mary Hill Winery. Oh, very cool. Well, this has been a pleasure. A day in the life of Mary Hill Winery, speaking with Craig Luthold, co-owner and co-founder with his lovely wife, Vicki, of Mary Hill Winery. Hey, Craig, I look forward to chatting with you or perhaps your winemaker um, next week. Okay, sounds great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Craig. Hey, that's another great show and another great segment with uh, A Day in the Life of Mary Hill Winery. This is really fun. Reality Radio. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Tell your friends about it. Uh, our website is happyhourradio.net. And don't forget, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers.